two, one. Welcome to Sounding Point Podcast. Tim Fain is a violinist, composer, producer, Avery Fisher Career Grant recipient, a musician in such uh, acclaimed films as Black Swan, Moonlight, and Twelve Years a Slave, and many others. In recent years, Tim Fain has collaborated closely with Philip Glass, among many other legendary living composers. Not only that, but he has broken ground in his use of virtual reality as a concert component and expanded the definition of what a live concert experience can be in the 21st century. So it is my honor to welcome Tim Fain onto the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Nice afternoon. Yeah, so I just, I've been starting pretty much every podcast with with the, the age-old question, how are you doing right now? How are you living during this pandemic? How has it affected you? Well, it's affected me in, in almost every way imaginable. Uh, I, you know, it's, um, it's, been, it's been a challenge, you know, and with my family, we just a few days ago made the decision, my wife and I too, we're gonna keep them both home for next year. So we're gonna be homeschooling our kids which is, I mean, goodness knows, I, I, I have a little more time. At least I've been traveling. Uh, I have been trying to keep as busy as I can. Um, I actually, just a couple days ago, I, I wrote down the last notes of, uh, of a new violin concert that I've that I written. Um, and uh, writing some, some piano etudes as well, solo piano etudes. And um, doing a lot of live streaming, a lot of um, a lot of playing for, for folks on the internet, uh, which has been very very gratifying, actually, really satisfying. Been doing it every Saturday afternoon on Facebook, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's as much of a weekly schedule I think I've ever had in my life, at least since since I was in college. You know, this sort of weekly rhythm that just has not been a part of my experience really uh at least in my professional life um so so you know there have been some some silver linings uh obviously uh as you can imagine uh, you know everything's uh, a lot of the film work i was scheduled to do both collaborative and composing um there was a project a, a commercial project that they wanted to license a track of mine that also has been indefinitely postponed and yeah, it's it's hard to see see that happen and to know that that this is all happening uh, alongside other people's struggles as well and to know that there are a lot of people who are struggling a lot more than than I so despite that and despite all of the life I do feel pretty pretty lucky to be in, in the place where I am and have the space here in my studio in western Montana where we've been sheltering um, to have that to to come back to and see to have that space to create, I, I do feel very fortunate. Mm -hmm. You know, I um, it's funny. I grew up homeschooled, actually. And, did you? Uh, I did. So, but you know, before it was technologically necessary, <laughs> and uh, and necessitated by a pandemic. So, I mean, speaking from that experience, it was it was very positive for me and my family. So it's cool to hear that you're doing that. Well, you know, yeah, get another another year with my kids at home. I'm I'm really excited about it. 
I'm really uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And you know, I uh, I, I think uh, that uh, in many ways my life at least my life at home has it's almost weird to say this, but there have been a lot. It hasn't changed all that much, you know. At least when I'm home, I, I get up early in the morning, get to work. Um, the kids wake up and uh, I'm with them for a bit, and then get back to work in the afternoon. And I've I, I've been trying to really take advantage of as much as I can of this um, the possibility of, of of work, you know, on on my own that I can do. There's no question that I'm thinking a lot about you know long term as well and the future of of uh, life one the future of um just music distribution how this is all gonna change. that and uh just uh you know what what that what that means for performers what that means for the next generation of performers too how they are going to um i have no doubt that there will be ways that people express themselves and share with others but i i am i am concerned that uh, there's something in face-to-face transaction or at least um transaction where people are physically present maybe i'm biased or maybe i'm just it's just me getting old you know but i i do feel that there's something that, that's lost um in that and, and I and in, on one hand, I'm really fascinated with what is gained in uh, the ability to connect with people who are in different sides of the globe and to all come together through music. And uh, a live performance online can be every bit as captivating. But uh, I don't know. There's something um, something is lost, and and I I would be sorry if if uh, if we don't really aren't able to really start up live. Them, um, again for this absolutely I, I it's cool to hear you say that because i know that your um your projects have taken you i think i mean one of the reasons i wanted to ask you on this podcast um was that not only with the live streaming but in general your your work with vr and your interest in pushing the technology of live of of musical performance strikes me as like extremely relevant right now <laughs> it's it's very important that musicians are thinking about this right now but i mean honestly the pandemic is just kind of showing it, it's speeding things up because in the as 21st century musicians this is all stuff we have to think about seriously as musicians anyway how do we connect with people right now you know and virtual reality, which you which you mentioned, is definitely a way that, that I think the technology is such that it pulls you in. Um, I think even if it's if the quality of the piece or the film is not as good, just the technology itself pulls you in and really draws uh, your attention. And I think is can be a really is a, a very valuable tool for creators to engage their audience and fans. Um, Certainly, um, I have, I, a, a number of years ago, I produced a, a, a live performance, a live evening link show called Portals, which was really about just this, uh, the role of, of live performers and, and, and live performance in 
the age of in the and I roped in a number of collaborators. Leonard Cohen actually had very kindly allowed me to use uh, some of his words, drawing from interviews, song lyrics, and put together this script that really takes one on a journey, I think, through this desire to connect, this longing for connection in the digital age, and how that how that looks. I think he was very tickled to have his words being used in such a modern context because I'm the only live performer in the course of the show, but it's very easy to forget that as an audience member um, because it's a richly collaborative show. Nicholas Bertel is um, actually directed and choreographed well. Um, Fred Child from performance today is is reading the Leonard Cohen uh, script, and you see him in this very modern-looking library. And and it, it it's very easy to forget. I've had people come up afterwards and tell me that they forgot that Nicholas wasn't just there on the piano. He projected lifestyle screen behind me, and in these very slow tracking shots. That other times in the show, it's almost as if you're there, you know, these cams, the sort of wiggly cams that make you feel almost as if you are there in the room with us as we're rehearsing the dancers or acting here. Um, but uh, but I, I, I always get a kick out of that. You know, I did. Uh, and I still perform the show from time to time, or I did before, um, you know, uh, before COVID hit. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, I get sort of a, a kick out of that when people tell me why. I, I actually forgot that uh, the Nick wasn't actually on stage with yeah. you. Even longer than a moment. Um, it's a little terrifying, but it's also invigorating. Yeah. I found, um, I, I love watching on your YouTube channel. It had some of the, you know, the Philip Glass Partita movements along with those, those, um, visuals and films choreographed um but and and i i understood oh this is part of your project portals you know it's a part of it exactly yeah. because of course of the show those are projected and there i am performing as this kind of this interplay between what is happening on screen and what is happening live i really resisted the the people asked me to make a, a video of portals to film of the entire Concert. And I really, I wasn't interested in that as much because the whole point of it was that it was a live experience. Sat down in the concert hall and you watched this unfold on stage where boundaries between the live and the technology were blurred. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's, I kind of realized that as I was, I mean, I, I thought it was amazing um, just watching the videos and hearing you play, but but then when I learned it was part of this bigger project, I'm like, dang it, why didn't I catch one of these? <laughs> I'd really like to see this live. It's, it's really hard to imagine. Well, I'm, I'm guessing it's hard to imagine if you haven't seen it. Um, well, you know, I mean, at the time, I think it was, it was quite, uh, quite different than anything that was out there. Um, I think now, you know, uh, really, you see that, that sort of interplay and that sort of thing more, more, more often. Uh, with, I'm happy about you know because in some way and uh in some way maybe portals got people thinking a little bit got creators thinking a little bit about that um and uh yeah but certainly some of the, the vr pieces that i've worked on um 
I think, you know, I mean, it's hard to believe, you know, the resonance of the project with Google um, kind of takes, uh, it, it, it's sort of the story of it is, is this conception of a melody, which then starts to be, it's just, you should, I, I'm in my own space, which is not exactly, it's not actually my own space, but still, uh, you know, meant to feel like that sort of bohemian kind of static. And I start just plucking out this thing, comes this thing, and almost to outsize proportions within three minutes, full orchestra in Avatar Studios with you as the viewer in the center, you know. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the, the first virtual experience to actually take people inside a symphony orchestra. Um, and uh, the, the, the sort of inception and then realization of a melody into piece and and resonance is in some ways a loosely based loosely set of variations on the theme uh, and uh yeah it's it's hard to believe that was five years ago and the technology now is almost a little bit you look at it and you say oh that's so that's so cute you know it's <laughs> a, you know it's a little pixelated here and there oh, oh i can see a little you know artifact there from the stitching <laughs> it's in real time back then it took weeks you know um, and it was, you know, and, and duct tape was a very uh, important in, <laughs> in all stages, pretty much. <laughs> not just the shooting, you know, holding things together. Literally, um, uh, Jess Jessica and, and Nick, Nick Kadner, who sadly passed away a year and a half after the production, um, you know, just rolls of duct tape and, and you know, uh, wires and... <laughs> And this big camera that looked like a flying saucer with these <laughs> hacked uh, GoPro cameras around. Um, but I think I think in some ways it, it's still even even that you know you watch that it was one of the first VR projects I was I was associate I was a part of, and I think it's still there's something about it just that it, it draws you into this this world. Oh you know? yeah, the the music is beautiful. First first oh, of thank all, thank you, and. Um... And yeah, I mean, it, it draws you in just based on the visuals and also, obviously, you're kind of moving around. So you have you as the audience, if you want to see where you are and see what's going on, you have to like kind of change the angle of the camera and then you're like, oh, the sound changes, you know? So. Yeah, I, it was actually, it was actually um, the role of that piece as it was released was to announce to the world um, that YouTube was beginning to have interactive adaptive 360 which they hadn't up until that um, actually that technology got delayed a couple months so we ended up deciding that we wanted to release the piece with the idea that within a month or two the sound would follow it, it ah. would be adaptive sound. i see huh cool. but uh, you're saying about that about resonance that was the first of three short pieces that i've written over the last Few years for violin orchestra and then this uh, full length 23 23 and a half minute long violin concerto wow just finished i'm you know uh going through and proofing the score um don't know where i'm gonna play it you know <laughs> somehow mm -hmm. once real or once uh well i mean you know worst case get a virtual orchestra together a bunch of friends and mm -hmm. yeah make your own orchestra mm -hmm. here.
exactly. I've been a part of projects, you know, in the last few months that uh, groups of musicians put together and, you know, get a click track and everybody plays together. Uh, or even a video of a conductor, which I like better because it, if the conductor is, uh, you know, filmed in a way that really you can really see and, and it allows for a kind of a human, I don't know what it is, a delay or a, la a slight latency in the performance or it, something about, and the conductor might be listening to a play, but the fact that he is moving his arms, there's something that comes out of it, which I think, is a little bit more expressive, a little bit more free. Uh, maybe it has something that, that alludes a bit more to this human quality of flexibility and, and emotive music making. It's funny you mentioned that because my string quartet recorded um, all individual parts in the way you're describing, mostly with click track um, for the Cabrillo virtual concert. Um, yeah, congrats. And I, what's that? Congrats on that. That's oh, great. It was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's a wonderful festival. I'm, I'm so glad. We were thrilled beyond belief that we were going to be playing at Cabrillo, and then it gets canceled, and we were devastated. So it was. it's really amazing of them to have a virtual season. That's really great. Yeah. So Yeah, I played there a couple times uh, with Matt Heimovitz, cellist. Some of you might, who are watching. Might shout out, Matt Heimovitz. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, He's done so many. It's like he's had a, a few different lives already. You know, a child <laughs> signed with DG and Deutsche Grammophon playing, you know, at the age of 17 with virtually every major orchestra. And really had a, 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 a rethinking and a changing of, of path. Um, started performing in very, uh, very much in alternative venues around the country. Um, this, this, this project all 50 states playing in bars, hmm. restaurants, pizza restaurants, just, you know, everywhere, just bringing music to the most unlikely places. Now he's uh, re working very closely with a number of you know, living composers. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Fantastic. Like yeah, you should all check, check his. Yeah. And he has some beautiful Beethoven recordings with Christopher O'Reilly. Uh, oh, yeah. In fact, we were, um, yeah, everybody's got things that, that were canceled. And uh, one of the things that is on hold for us now is, a, is some piano trio work with myself, Matt, Christopher O'Reilly. Really? Oh my gosh, I can't wait yeah. to do that. I know, me too, me too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, his, the Beethoven sonatas that they recorded together with Matt, are well worth the listen. Fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, yeah, I, I, I would love, eventually, I'd love to have him on as well. I love, I love talking to, uh, to people like that who have been finding unconventional ways of, of being a, a 21st century musician and doing it at the highest level of quality. Um, so one thing, what, when you mentioned about the conducting, I found it interesting because when we were recording for the Cabrillo Festival, we had a couple um, pieces where we were playing along with a, um, a recording. The composer for one of our pieces um, sent us basically his piano reduction of the quartet to click. Mm -hmm. That performance was so seamless because 
we were playing along to his rhythmic impulse. And something about when we were purely going on click, I mean, in a string quartet, you're, you're paying so much attention to each other in the room and, and about articulation and beginning and ending notes and phrasing all this stuff that when you're just playing to a metronome, it's hilarious how differently four people can interpret a single click. <laughs> yeah, something about it, maybe if it, if it doesn't feel natural, one's inclined to stray in ways that feel more natural, but everybody strays in different ways when you're not in the same room. I, 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 I was in a string quartet for, I think, six years when I was younger. Uh, the first fiddle player of the Rossetti string quartet no longer in existence, but um, yeah, I, I spent a, a, a lot of time working played all over the place. That, that wouldn't happen to be Nina Bodnar, would it? She was my predecessor in the group, okay. actually. He was the first fiddle player before I before I she left and I oh, okay uh, yeah this was a number of years ago okay cool I study with Nina so anyway it's it's a funny it's a small world <laughs> yeah yeah oh you know I don't know her that well but she's great yeah, yeah incredible <laughs> um yeah so, uh, so I, I I do really know what you mean what you mean about the string quartet in particular mm -hmm. is an interesting animal in that, in that way for those of you who maybe musicians listening as well. You might know, you might be able to relate to this. As far as a string quartet, I always felt piano trio much more, and it could be a function of the way many piano trios, particularly in the classical literature are written. It's almost as if three soloists come together and uh, uh, performing. It just seemed to me that that was uh, very appropriate. It lent itself to that kind of way of music making. Whereas the string quartet, um, you may have four players who are of soloist quality, for, for sure. I think um, really players are coming from that world um, who just falling in love with with the string quartet literature. You know, you could think of the um, you know the the, uh, the 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 symphonies are almost like the the novels that composers write, and the string quartets are a bit more sort of like. A peek into their diary, reading their mm. love letter, <laughs> and, and and there's something very beautiful about that. And the literature is better than that. There's really something. There's something about the string quartet that the, the degree of listening is something that I think is parallel music group set in 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 literature. Yeah, the it's it's very it's very gratifying to it almost feels like um you know how in when you're playing in an opera orchestra or something where every performance is different and you're you know there's this intense dialogue between the stage and the orchestra and it's channeled through the conductor and there's all this sort of energy in the moment of like oh i gotta you know it's like that edge of 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 being with with it or not with it that you're i don't know there's a feeling of of timing that's so uh dynamic and exciting when you're playing an opera that that i also i get that feeling in a string quartet sense as well when you're when you're communicating and then someone decides to do something a little do new and everyone listens and it can when it's going right it feels amazing yeah 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 for sure for sure so i wanted to um ask you about your composing um because so you had the uh, resonance. You had also the freedom project. I wanted uh -huh. to ask you a little bit about that. 
Yeah, freedom was something that I had written uh, this this sort of second of these these three uh, short pieces for violin, or the third being Glacial, which released um, and uh, each one of these pieces had this this real sort of um, story around it. Freedom was uh, as a result of my involvement in a um, a couple of different organizations. Um, one in particular being Made in a Free World, which is a, an organization run by my friend Justin, who is a fellow musician, a rock and roller, and um, just we really we really really connected on the power of music to bring people together to rally people to understand and to open pay attention to um issues uh particularly the issue of modern slavery um in our world today and what a monumental problem it is right now in every country in the world virtually every country in every major city um, and their mission is to put an end to human slavery through um, conscious consumerism. I thought that they they bring as light of a touch to this issue as I think possible, and which I think you might might say, well, why why would they do that? You know, serious thing. Well, I think many people either who don't realize or who don't think about this a lot may feel very like it's it's so difficult or so close to home or something that just is so so difficult to to get um to really understand the issues that bringing this sort of bringing people in i think is a real is a real add to what they do so freedom was written as it was released as a um a charity single uh, that uh, we raised some money for them and um the track has continued to do pretty well online and people seem to enjoy it about. I think it's a very, uh, it's a very uplifting. Yeah, beautiful, very uplifting. Um, I find that's. Um, I was uh, talking earlier with um, Lydia Yankowska. She's the uh, music director of the Chicago Opera Theater, and um, we were talking about this same um, topic of what role do we musicians have in social change. And I think it's interesting because in, in some senses, music is very insular where we musicians were, we are, you know, we're trying to attain excellence for its own sake in a way. And obviously we want to connect with our audiences, but in a way the, sometimes I feel that the art is almost self-contained. It's like we, we value the art for its own sake, but at the same time, do we have a duty to use it? for social change. What do you think about that? I, I, I think a lot about that. Um, <laughs> I, when I was, uh, had the, the opportunity and honor to play for His Holiness 14 Dalai Lama's birthday party in California, North County, a few years back. And um, I didn't really know whether I would get a chance to speak to him. And I was getting getting ready to perform and I knew I would probably see him afterwards with, you know, people's kind of stage, which I'm sure they would do. But it was a very intimate event. And I was getting ready to play and I just somebody tapped me on the back, a guy in a black suit with an earpiece, said, Well if you'd like to meet 
His Holiness, I'd like you to come with me right now, please. And I put away the violin and we got into a golf cart and wound our way up in this sort of this estate. Um, and we got to this little, uh, this garden and there he was. And, and I went over to him and we greeted one another and uh, I was just sort of rambling on and he, he stopped me and sort of pointed my, his finger at me and got this smile and said, musicians have great responsibility. And he just started to laugh, you know, his, with his whole body. And I started to laugh and, and even the, the, the bodyguard started to chuckle too, you know, because he just, he was so right, but he brought this absolutely joyful, ebullient spirit to it, you know, that you couldn't help but um, just be swept along with it. I just remember his laugh and laughing with him. Um, and, you know, I had a few questions to ask him as well, but, but that's what I really, what I really remember. Great responsibility. <laughs> and... Uh, so I think about that a lot, and it, it's inevitably it comes with a sense of, of 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 happiness, of joy, and sort of fulfillment, and really that as kind of a motivator for. I mean, glacial this this, this third in the in this, in this what's sort of turned into a, um, a three part or a triptych in some way, but um, these three pieces together was also done with the idea that it uh, originally. Um, I knew that I wanted to release it in some way connected with the environment, but I wasn't sure how to do it. And then it just, Earth Day was coming up and I said, you know what, now is the time. And um, I'd originally written it uh, as a wedding gift for my friends, Rachel and Mikkel, um, who were getting married down in Antarctica. They rented a research vessel for two weeks and planned a trip down. Mikkel's amazing guy. He, he created life strong this, oh yeah yeah that uh, allowed people uh, in areas where the water was completely polluted to or, or, or you know undrinkable to um drink water just from this device to purify it i have one you have one. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. you never know you never know when you need it involved in so many different causes a few years ago they he um helped design and launch a suborbital satellite which was really more like a blimp he described it as if you think of like the goodyear blimp but um you know a couple of football fields long and um, then it was really stepped into the uh the stratosphere measuring all sorts of different things we call it the blimp for good because it was weather pattern changing weather pattern um it could be used to help uh gather data on slavery on uh, criminal activity uh, and social justice issues that, that developed, uh, and uh, many many different things from uh, many different sets of data that they were gathering. Um, so he, interesting both of them just really interesting people and I wrote this piece and I think if you listen to glacial there's this kind of undercurrent of of Something, something slightly, um, un, uh, something slightly disquieting. Um, this the tremolo on the piano, sort of very fast portal, um, trembling motion, which at times comes bubbles up to the surface, and that for me was not only sort of the 
um, what they were about to get into in their marriage, you know, this great, a great responsibility, you know, this sort of um, this path that they were on where uh, they would experience um, this sort of tumultuous uh, times and, and also very, um, um, I don't know, I, I, but it was also just this sense of urgency that we feel to um, uh, help combat global warming and a number of different uh, causes around wonderful i thought it started out releasing it on earth day was kind of just uh hopefully get get a few people to just think about that through through music you know mm -hmm. power to to uh open up people's hearts and minds. that's beautiful i think um I love that story about the Dalai Lama. I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to ask you about that, that visit if you didn't bring it up. Um, and I think that's so cool that he both said this important idea that musicians have this responsibility, but then he also mm -hmm. delivered it with this humor because yeah, it's hard because you know, like when you feel that responsibility, it feels weighty when you know, it can be very serious. So the fact that he was, you lightened it up is, is really cool. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, but it, you know, it's 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 a such an it's such a strange time now, and I, I hope that for people who are are listening, that just to take heart and to create as much as you can. Um, don't uh, don't get too discouraged. Just try to um, do what it takes well to keep your art alive. And. Um, listen to as much music as you can and experience art where you can as well. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. And, uh, hopefully, you know, many of us will emerge even, even stronger. That's, that's the hope. There's a lot of people who are suffering who, who won't, uh, who will lose their lives and will lose family. Um, it's very disturbing and it, it's a difficult time. I hope that uh, that somebody will be able to keep keep yourselves optimistic and in some way looking toward uh, a future where we can resume live performances. We can help people through music. You know, one of the things that I've really been focusing on lately lately is um, just this this innate power that music has to to do so many things, but particularly to, to help people heal. Uh, with my friend Jacob Marshall, uh, we have, we're starting this, this collective of artists and, and, and uh, musicians uh, called Embassy, E-M-B-C, Embassy, uh, which um, it, we're, we're focused on creating multi-sensory multi -sensory experience in art. And we've been working with in New York, pretty closely the last couple of months, building a collaboration with a studio elsewhere to build these reach in the hospitals for the doctors and getting some pretty overwhelming support. We have, I think, 11 of these recharge rooms now in various hospitals in the New York area. You walk in, you're greeted with a, a scent, perhaps, and one whole wall is like a projected. Uh, a campfire on a, on a deserted beach. Uh, of course, there is sound design and music that's coming at you spatially. 
Um, the lighting is, we've thought a lot about the lighting as well and uh, animal sounds. Um, in fact, we've used some, some animal sounds in some of our music. Uh, something which I find really interesting about um, the sounds of animals which create sort of these constant, but sort of evolving, evolving but constant tapestries of sound with crickets, frogs in a pond. What happens when, when there is danger? They stop and it's silent. So actually silence for us can be quite unsettling for, for the human mind, but to have these, um, these very pervasive and, and relaxing sounds of nature, particularly insects and small animals that speak and communicate in unison as a storm can be extremely relaxing. And it's been really interesting seeing the effect that music particularly has had on the doctors, the health practitioner. And now we're opening it up to uh, creating a much larger space in the Mount Sinai West Hospital uh, in one of their atriums where uh, people in the uh, patient experience and hopefully gain a little bit of peace and, uh, and tranquility and introspection during what otherwise very painful and, and confused experience and difficult experience. Well, I feel like that's, of all the kind of projects I've heard of in the uh, pandemic time, this is probably one of the most directly beneficial frontline artistic projects I've heard of that addresses That's, the, the needs yeah, of the coronavirus. Artists working at the front lines in the ways that we can. And uh, if you told me a few months ago, you know, six or seven months ago, when we first started working on this with Studio Elsewhere and with Mount Sinai, um, if you told me that a bunch of artists and musicians to a hospital and, and, and drive to transform what was possible, even just legally, what was possible in a hospital. And um, I would have said you were crazy. Slow moving system, and there's so much red tape. And uh, I think that really may also speak to, um, I'd like to think that part of it is what we're offering. Is, has turned out to be quite special, I think, for people. But also, I think in large part, truly that the doctors and the administrative staff at these hospitals were out there with and really searching for what could actually help, what, what would help, and willing to break a few rules and rewrite what was possible to that end. So, it's been really inspiring to, to see that. That's amazing. What, it's called Embassy, E-M-B-C? E-M-B-C, yeah. We're really just only starting to, uh, only just starting to get the word out now. Uh, but we've been working in the hospitals in this capacity for, uh, for many months now. And I think it's time to, time to, time to tell the story because because there's a lot of other people out there who are struggling, who are suffering. I think could benefit from, from these experiences, which are designed specifically to help people heal through music and art. I'm, that is incredible. I'm gonna plug it from, from <laughs> and I hope, I hope all my friends do too. That's such an amazing project. So thank you for doing that.
Oh, I appreciate that, Joe. Yeah, and, and both Jacob will. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we're all on this this journey together. So fantastic. Appreciate that. Before um, before we go, I wanted to ask you um, a couple a couple things about your kind of journey as a musician. Um, one is, of course, working with Philip Glass. Like um, you've had the opportunity. To my understanding, not just to obviously play works of his, but also to collaborate with him closely in recitals. So uh, I was wondering if you could just tell us what it's like working with him and, and playing his music with, with the man himself. Yeah, well, we, we've played, uh, we've performed a lot together. Uh, most recently, the last five or six years in, in duo, duo concerts, duo recitals, um, performing his music. And um, I think that, that one of the biggest um, lessons or takeaways, you know, from all of that work, besides just the fact that we just uh, really enjoy one another's, another's company and, and just the, the backstage chats, you know, post-performance, he's really, he's very um, protective of that time right after performance, get off stage. I think, I think as performers, we were very, you know, as a matter of course, we make ourselves very vulnerable and very um open this we become this conduit um in, during the course of performance and not only classical musicians any type of musician any, any type of artist while they're creating and that time kind of coming down off of that backstage you know and we would just everybody would kind of leave the room and we'd be there and we'd just have this these chats about, about music and not even so much about critiquing or or thinking about what that performance was but just what music can do and um, the sort of uh, just uh, just the, 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 the importance and the power of, of creating music together. Um, I think apart from that, one of the big sort of the takeaways from my work with him is just the flexibility that he lends to his music. Um, this has changed, but certainly a few years back, uh, for the most part, his music was often performed in ways which I would call, well, at its at their worst, inflexible. Um, and to listen to him perform some of his music, particularly some of his more recent compositions, uh, it would be the performance much more into uh, you know honest Brahms, you know, than uh, than any of the other composers. And that was very interesting to perform with him, to record with him, and to really uh, just let that spirit of flexibility and emotive quality that comes through in his own performances of his own music really uh, let that have, uh, sort of um, really get swept along by myself. Uh, and there are moments on stage where I know that he's just in his own world. And it almost doesn't matter what I'm doing, different timings. And I think of, it makes me think of working on larger projects, like a film, for example. At a certain point, everybody lost control of the film. Even the director, but they have and they have, they've set something in motion. And the really, the really fine directors know how to 
set a film, set the production of a film in motion in such a way that it goes along this inevitable, seemingly inevitable path, but that is, is a path that has been designed. And to embrace the things that happen. And you, in a way, I feel that with Philip. I'm, sometimes I'm just there along for the ride. He's just absolutely in the zone. And I'm, in the, I'm, I'm feeling that as well. And we just, we just let it happen. And uh, so I think that that sort of spirit, just even thinking about those moments just makes me feel like I'm gonna play better today. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> It's like listening to Nathan Milstein. Yeah. You listen to Yasha Heifetz and you're wowed and amazed, and rightly so. And you think, oh, I could never do that. And you're probably right. <laughs> I know I am. Uh, who, who would? Who would try to play like it's nobody Dr. Wilde says everybody else is taken anyway so just be yourself <laughs> yeah but with Milstein I listen to Nathan Milstein and I think and maybe I could do that it sounds so easy mm -hmm. you know he could he could take the vibe and put it on his head yeah. play his back mm -hmm. but uh, but I listen to Nathan Milstein and I think to myself wow he made it sound and you know what? I take up my violin and I, I am playing a little better than I, than I was before. <laughs> so I think, yeah, this, this spirit of generosity and flexibility and, and um, that's, really, that's really what I remember. And I was talking with him a couple of days ago. He's doing well. And, and I think like everybody, really excited to get back on the road. Wonderful. Did you um, do you find yourself em maybe not emulating? How do you find your um, find yourself inspired by him when you're composing? And and I guess how did you get into composing? Well, I've I've always been interested in composing. I was really I think I was learning how to write music before I was learning how to write words when I was a kid. Um, I didn't really dive into it though until about, I don't know, 10, 10 or 15 years ago. It really, really, and then, and then the last few years, really, um, I don't know, it's, it's just become something I can't imagine, you know, my life without. It's just, it's just become very much a part of what I do. And, and, and you know, it, many collaborations with living composers end up being um, sometimes even composing out different sections and, and really helping the composer to understand why they do it. I think the really, really good uh, composers at the top level understand this and embrace that um, to a certain extent. You know, I think, um, and, and, but I remember one time I had uh, written a, an alternate cadenza for the one that Eric Jacobs, I was getting ready to play. Aaron Kearns' piece, uh, Violin Concerto with Baltimore Symphony. And I'd written out a different cadenza for it. And um, this was sort of a long extended passage where the violin just starts to play all by itself. The orchestra musicians put down their instruments, the violin takes the floor for a bit, and then it leads back in to the final part of the piece. And I'd written, a, I'd written my own version of it. You know, and I, I played it for Aaron, and he listened and he said, well, I liked it very much. I think I'd prefer the one that I wrote. 
so you know, it was it was always uh, it's always uh, you never know composers are going to react, and I think of myself in their shoes as well. Um, I would be very touched if a musician did that. I would also really try to think about what served the piece as a whole better. And you know, I think actually his is very interesting in that piece because it almost there are moments where it feels as if the violin is being pulled apart. It's a very violent experience. And it leads into one of the most tender and transcendently beautiful sections of, I think, anything he's ever written. There's a moment, the last part of the piece, where he's stashed two harps, one on either side of the stage, as far to the edges and as far up as possible. In this case, they were in the balcony, just sort of the box. And there's an offstage oboe as well. Oboe has such a, a piercing, but kind of um, aggressive sound. And to stash the oboe player back behind the, the curtain was just such a magnificent fact. And so in a way, the, his, his solo violin passage, the Scadenza really served its purpose. This final outpour, this violence and that, that anger before this, this moment. So I really, I respected his decision. I think it was the right decision. Um, but look, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's been a, a journey for me and, and continues to evolve. And I, I'll definitely keep you posted about this violin concerto. And, yeah, uh, oh my gosh, can't wait. Uh, as, I, as I am able to record that with other musicians. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. And it's really, congrats on, these, on, these, on your series here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, thank you. It's been an honor talking to you. I'd, I'd love to have you back on sometime. And, and love that uh, too. And yeah, I think um, what you're doing out there is um, not only artistically fascinating and, and beautiful, but also you are, uh, your, your um, path is very inspirational, I think, to 21st century musicians to see what's possible. And, um, and also what we can do to make a difference. So thank you and keep it up. I appreciate that, Joe. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right, take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks, thanks. take care.